this morning, and, and it's just right down the line, and I'm going to try to try to manipulate this. It's great to have the Vosses here this morning. They've been friends of mine for a couple of years anyway. Uh, I hate to say how long, but, uh, but I can remember when he was in the old church. I remember down there holding a meeting one Sunday on your campaign to, to beat the last one, and we missed it by one. And I looked out the doors. He's down by the river. And I was standing in the pulpit. I'm looking. This car passed those doors three times. Couldn't find a parking space. He'd had to go into Ohio River in order to park. And he didn't come. And because he didn't come, he didn't beat his record attendance. But uh, he's doing a great job over there at Gallopolis. Been there a long time. And I appreciate long-term pastors who can stay and feed their people. But I thought this morning as I was trying to come up with a topic, you know, you like topics, I, I don't always uh, use them, but I, I was thinking of the Luke 15, uh, uh, the 15th chapter, and it deals a lot with what the kids talked about. Uh, some people call it the parable of the son, a lost boy, a remarkable act of forgiveness, a homecoming, whatever you want to call it. You know, this is what I uh, realized today, but... I'm reminded of the little boy, the father that was putting his little daughter, four-year-old daughter, to bed. And as he put her to bed in the evening, he always read a story from the Scripture to her. And he read this particular story from the 15th chapter of Luke. And he began to tell the young gal, they discussed how that the younger son had taken the inheritance and left home. And it says that he lived it up until he had nothing left. He had spent it all. He had wasted it. And finally, he come to the end of the place where he ended up in the pig pen with the pigs. When he was done with the story, he said to his four-year-old daughter, Now what have we learned from this story? And she said, Well, as she thought for a moment, she says, Never leave home without your credit card. Now that wasn't what Jesus had in mind, but that was a good from a four-year-old to realize that. I thought about many years ago, there's a story that's been told over the years, of G.W. Ravensbury, who was an evangelist, a pastor evangelist. And uh, many years ago, he would travel up and down uh, the, the countryside on railroad cars. And you know, if you, if you know the history of the Church of God, you will find that most churches that I've gone to through the years, a lot of our churches started in railroad towns because of people like Ravensbury. Ravensbury would get on the train. He'd come to a town. He'd get off and he'd preach. And when he'd win people, sometimes they'd start a church. And then he'd get on the train and go to another town. He would just move up and down the tracks preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This particular story he tells about being on the train one day sitting in a car back behind several people. He noticed a young man that was sitting up in front of him, about four or five seats. And he said as he walked by, he noticed that he had an old rugged old suitcase stuck underneath the seat. He was sitting in that seat, and he said as the train was moving, every about every 15 minutes he'd get out of the seat. He'd pace up and down the car, then he'd sit back down. He'd pace up and down the car, and he'd sit back down. And, and Ravensbury said, it bothered me enough to realize that this young man had something on his mind, something that was bothering him. And so he decided that he would go up and introduce himself. He said, he come up beside him and tapped him on the shoulder. He said, I, I'm, I'm Reverend Ra- Ravensbury. He said, I'm a, I'm a preacher. And he said, I've noticed that you, you seem to be very nervous. There seemed to be something going on in your life. Would you like to talk about it? Could I sit down? And he said, as I sat down, he said it was like opening a spigot. The boy began to talk. He said, you know, me and my pa, we didn't get along well. 
He said we'd fuss about everything. It seemed like it, it, it didn't have to be nothing. He said we'd just fuss to fuss. And he said one day, he said we got in a real heavy fuss. And he said I said something like, maybe I should just leave. And as Paul said, well, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. He said it made me so mad. He said I went to my room. I grabbed my suitcase. I put all the clothes and all the things I thought I would need into that suitcase. I was mad. I was upset. And he said, I plugged it full. And then he said, as I came down and walked through the room to go out the door, his Paul said, son, if you go out that door, don't you ever come back again. And he said, you know, I was so mad. I wouldn't stay there. He said, I just left. He said, then I got down to a little town. And he said, things were hard. He said, I had a hard time. He said, didn't have any money. Didn't have nothing but what I had in my suitcase. So he said, I, I, I looked for a job. I got a little job. He said, and it didn't pay much. And then I'd go find another little job, and it didn't pay much. And then he said, on these jobs, these little jobs, I had I made a few friends. He said, one night we were out partying with friends. And he said, since we were out there partying with friends, he said, he said I, 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 we were out there, and he said, you know, they said, well, you know what? Let's go down there and rob that liquor store. And he said, went down there, and he said, we, we got caught. He said, they went before the judge, and the judge put me in jail for two years. And so he said, I thought about this as I was sitting in that jail cell for two years of what I had at home. I thought about my mom. I thought about my dad. I thought about all the comforts I had. And here I am sitting in a jail cell. So he said, I decided I would write a letter. He said he wrote a letter and told his mom and dad exactly what it was. He said, I apologized to them. I told them how sorry I was for the way I mistreated them and for the way that I talked to them and for the things that I did. And he said, but, but he said, you know, Mom, Paul, I'm going to get out of prison. And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to be coming through the town. And he says, I, I know you said you never wanted me to come back. But he said, if, if there was a chance, if there was somehow that I could just stop, he said, if you want to see me, just out there on the tree, hang something white. And when the train comes through, he said, if I see it hanging there, he said, I'll know I can get off the train and come home. He said he got on the train, and, and he said, of course, Ravensbury's talking to him about it. He said, no, he said, you know, I, I, I'm very nervous about this. He said, I don't know. He said, preacher, do you suppose there'll be something white on that tree when I pass it? Do you suppose that they really want me to come home? And, and the preacher said, well, I have no idea. He said, but, but he said, let, let me tell you something. Just have confidence and believe that God will provide whatever is needed. And so he said he sat there thinking about it, and this old fellow, he, he just got nervous and more nervous, and he said, you know, just up round the bend, up here around the bend, they're going to pass my house, and that's where that tree is, and, and, and the trees between the tracks in the house. He said, would you do me a favor? He said, I'm just, if there's nothing on that tree, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm just so nervous and so upset. Preacher, would you look for me and see if there's something white on that tree? Ravenbury said, man, I got into that seat. I pressed my head against that window and I watched as that train came. And he said, just as we made the bend, I began to see something that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. He said that tree was totally white. There was every sheet, every pillowcase, every wash towel, every, even down to their underwear hanging on the tree. They emptied that house with white. He said, man, when I showed that boy, come here, young man, come here, look. 
And as he looked out and he saw that amazing tree of weight, he said he grabbed that suitcase. He run to the door before the train even stopped. He jumped off of that tree train. He said he started down that hill dragging, and pretty soon he's going up the other side dragging that old ragged suitcase. And he said, I looked out. An amazing thing was there was two elderly people that had jumped off of the porch and started down the hill to meet him. I want to tell you something, my friends. That is a picture of God's grace this morning. I want you to know that God has emptied heaven. I mean, He's given the whiteness of heaven in order to save you, in order to deliver you, in order to help you. It makes no difference to God what you've done or where you've been. And that's exactly what this story was all about. That Bible story of the prodigal son is just exactly that. And as I begin to think about it, as you go down in our hearts, I thought about this. Some of you may have played that story in your own family. I know that some of you have. I have talked with some of you. I have been around here almost nine months. I know a little bit about some of your difficulties. You know, there are some of you that have had a son that have done that. You've had a daughter. You've had maybe a brother or an uncle. You've had someone that has left home either because of drugs or because of alcohol or because of some silly agreement. And you have faced the same thing. They are out there in the world and there is a breakage there. And my friend, God is wanting you today to know that He's still willing to save and willing to forgive and willing to help in those situations. Because the story tells me that in Luke 15. Verses number 11. You thought I forgot where I was at. But verse number 11, if you want to look in Luke's Gospel, I'm going to, I'm going to hurry through this this morning. I'm not going to hold you long because I know your stomachs are growling and you've got all these things in blind about doing. But let me just say something. The Bible says that in this picture, as we look at this prodigal son, and it said that the man had two sons. And you know something I thought about when I, when I read that? You know, it's a typical family. It said there was an older one and a younger one. Did you know that the older one and the young one never alike? I, I've got, I've had two sons. I know exactly what I'm talking about. It says the older one was stable. He was satisfied. He would do everything. He wanted to keep the family going. But then there was that younger one. He was a little more of a rascal. I mean, he was the one that just didn't, he, 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 he was restless all the time. It wasn't quite enough for him. And so this is particular, this is just exactly what happens in family. Again, there's nothing shocking about that. But then the young boy does something that is very shocking. One day he comes to his father. He said, Dad, I want to talk to you alone. And the Scripture said, this translation swaggers because I'm in a hurry. Okay? He said, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you, Dad. And he said, you know, you know, there are just two of us, and, and you know, I know that one day you're going to give half of that inheritance is going to be mine. I just wondered if, 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 you know, I just don't like being around home. I just don't like all the demands of home. I want you to give me my share now. Why, that was a shocking thing. That was almost as though that it was a sin in itself. Normally, an estate is divided and given to its heirs when the father either gets so old that he can't handle it anymore, or as after he has died. But the younger son request seemed to be an act of rebellion. He was committing a grave sin requesting that, that his father give this, this, this was an act of, of radical act on that young boy's part. 
But as I read the Scripture, I find that the father was just as radical. He did something that is unheard of. He took his sons at his word and said, Yes, son, I will give you your half. That was radical. I mean, most of us would not. I mean, the father divided his property between them. I wonder if Jesus was saying something to us about God here. I wonder when I read that, that God respects your freedom. God respects my freedom. And do you know something? If, if you are determined to rebel and go your own way, there's nothing God can do about it. You know something? You can rebel all of your life. You can live your whole life until you face eternity in rebellion against God. And God will never, my friend, force Himself upon you. You see, that's exactly what this young man was doing here. The father let the young wayward son have his way. The son requested, surely, I'm sure his request hurt his father. I'm sure it broke the heart of his dad. How many of you would feel, how would you feel if your son or your daughter said, look, I want my part of the inheritance right now. I want you to give me mine. If you have to borrow it, I want you to give me mine. Because I want it and I want to use it the way I want to. I'll tell you what, most of us say no. But you know, even if you did, you know what? It would break your heart. The heart was broken. The younger son gathered his belongings and his inheritance and he went off to the city. And when he got to the city, he had all this money. He had all this stuff going for him. And he had seen things he had never had back on the farm. And he had all these things that he was going to be able to spend his money on. And so, you know, he gained friends. You know, when you got money and you go to parties, you, you gain friends. When you're buying for them. And the Bible says that he had a party, party after party after party, until he spent all that he had. And when it was gone, then there was a famine that came in the land. The man, the boy could have starved to death. But you know what he did? He began to look for a job. Remember, this is a Jewish boy. He began to look for a job. And, and when, he, when he found the job, the only job he could find was feeding the swine, the hogs. Go to Leviticus and you'll find out what the Jews think about the feeding of the swine. But you know what? He said it's either feed them or starve to death. And so he was there. And the Bible says that as he was feeding them one day, he began to look. He was so hungry and his body was so undernourished. He began to see some of that stuff they were giving to the hogs. And he thought, man, I could even pull a little of that out and eat it myself. And then when he began to realize it wasn't mom's cooking. It wasn't what he had back on the farm. And so he began to think within himself. You know, like we do when we get in trouble. When we find ourselves... I don't care who the person is that says, I'm going to have my way. I'm going to do what I want. There are, there's a time when your conscience reminds you of what mom and dad did for you. And that's what happened with this boy. He was there and it reminded him of what he had back home. And he began to think about that. And he began to look at those hogs that he was feeding and he began to think, man, my, my, my dad has servants that are, that are treated better than this. I mean, they've got good food to eat. They've got a nice bed to sleep in. What do I have? And so he began to reason within himself. He began to talk within himself and he said, you know what I need to do? I need to go back. I need to go back to my daddy's house. I need to go back. And so he began to rehearse what he was going to say. Now, Daddy, I, I've, I've broken every rule in the house. I, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. But he said, you know what? If you'll forgive me, if you'll just forgive me, I'm not asking you to be a son again. I'm asking you, can I just be one of your servants? And you know what? He began to realize, I believe the Holy Spirit must have spoke to him, because he started off and he, he was heading towards home. 
As he got, got out there, and not, I don't know how long it was, maybe a half a day or a day, he was heading to work home. Kept talking and rehearsing what he was going to say when he seen his daddy. And you know what? I've been in that part of the country, and I know it's, it's just a bunch of hills. I mean, you can hide behind rocks. And I believe that that day that that boy left home, there wasn't a day that his daddy didn't pray for him. That his daddy didn't go to the high point of the hill and look out to see if he could see where his son was. This particular day, he was out there looking for his son who had been gone and who had left home. And he saw him even when he was a distance away. And the Bible says that when he saw him, he began to run. He began to run. Now, now let me tell you something. Back in those days, you know, their father wore a big old robe, you know. I mean, it, it drugged the ground and it was a decent thing for the older people to be gentle and kind and walk, you know, kind of neatly. But the Bible says that this guy, he lifted up his robe, pulled him up above his knees and he began to run. That was unethical in those days, by the way, to show your knees. And you know what? The Bible says as he ran, he ran and when he got close enough that he saw his son, he began to speed up more and more and he grabbed his son and he put his arms around him and he hugged him and he kissed him and he began immediately as this boy said, Now daddy, let me tell you, I've rehearsed this and I want to tell you. And the whole time the boy was trying to give his confession speech to his dad, his dad wasn't listening a bit. He said, Hey folks, Kill. Yeah, quiet. Now get out there quickly. Get the best robe in the house. Get the ring out of the cabinet. Get the shoes for his feet. Get that calf, that fatted calf, and kill it. My son, which was lost, which was dead, is alive, and we're going to celebrate. Now I'm going to tell you something. If I had the time to give it to you this morning, you know there's significance to what he did. The robe meant that he was back. He was forgiven. He was brought back into the family. The ring said that he was a part of that family again. The sandals that went on his feet meant that he wasn't a slave because you see only slaves, only welcome people wore shoes. The rest of the slaves were barefooted. And you know what? They killed the fatted calf. And they had a party. I mean a party like you've never seen in your life. They had a party. Listen to what Jesus and, and, the, and what the Scripture says that those that even loved Jesus and those that were around said about Him, well, what's wrong with this Father? Well, they were flabbergasted. What man in his right mind who has been taken advantage of, that has been taken everything he has from him, and now he's just going to forgive it all? He's going to take him back? You know, that's the way God is. That's the way it is, folks. I don't care what you've done in life. It's none of my business. I want to tell you, that's the reason this altar is so important. Because you know what? You come to this altar and the only, the only voice that comes from this altar is the voice of forgiveness. God looks at you as you confess, as you give your speech, as you say to the Lord what you've done that's wrong and what you're one of forgiveness for. You know what? He's not listening to any of that. He's already made up His mind when you stepped out of that pew and made your way down there. The work's been done before you even get there because of your obedience. That's exactly what happened with this young man. You know, this story is an amazing story of how... That when we look at it, you know what the whole family, you know, and when you think about this, you know, this can happen. Listen, Jesus, this happens to all of us. You know, can you put yourself in the place of that father welcoming a lost child home? There are a lot of families who can do that. 
I know a family that had that experience. A family, Marge and Greg Lewis, tells the story of how they still had two daughters at home, but they had a son that went astray. A son they got on drugs and got messing with things he shouldn't have. And he left home. He was gone for years. Until one day the phone call came. You know, the amazing thing about the phone call was when they were telling the story, I thought about it. It was a phone call from their son who had been away for years who wanted to come home. He was in an old motel. He was in a, in a motel room in the Holiday Inn. And as he was there, he was, he was so drunk and so sick and so filthy that he decided he would call home. When he called home, he didn't ask for Dad. He asked for Mom. You ever notice that? He asked for Mom. He said, Mom... Mom, I, I'm so sick. I, I, I don't feel good. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mom, tell me what I can do. And about that time, his voice kind of flickered and got back. And finally, the fellow from the motel desk got on the phone and said, "This is your, this is your son. He's in bad shape, and and he wanted to make this call. And I've given him the privilege to use our phone. And he said, just tell me where he's at. They told him where he was at in that holiday, and 150 miles from home. Mom got them girls out of bed in the middle of the night. Got Dad ready and they got in that car and they drove 150 miles to pick up their son. He tells the story. He said, when I put my son in the front seat of the car, he said, I reached over to fasten the seat belt. And he said, the stench from alcohol and vomit and filth from being on the street all of that time. He said, for the first time, I realized what that father of that prodigal son must have felt. From the filth and the stink. He said, it was so bad, we had to wind every window down. I mean, we could not stand it. He said, as we hauled him back to the house and took him home with us, he said, I want to tell you something, it was terrible. It was awful to take that boy back to where we could get him. You know, it's a story of time after time of all of us. Of a young person that decides that they're old enough to go on their own. You know, we all have them. I raise young kids. I know about my, my son come home from college after being there two years, come in one night late and we was right there for him. Sunday, well, you know what? We got a curfew in this house. Eleven o'clock. You realize what? You realize that it's after twelve o'clock. I know, but I was out with some friends. We got, we kind of got to talking and we were sitting at the table and we were just talking and, and about things that time got away. They said, no, that's not an excuse. We got a curfew at 11 o'clock. Well, I'm in college. Well, then you mean to go back to college. Cause in our house, you come out at 11 o'clock. Well, you know, let me tell you something. I, I believe that sometimes, you know, we get these kids in those situations and say, well, like this man did, I can make it on my own, but he finds out he can't. You know, we do that with God, don't we? How many times have you felt that God spoke to your heart and told you when you went to do something that was wrong, something that was questionable, the group that you're running with, the people that you're associating with, and the Lord saying, be careful, you do not be with them. And you say, well, I'm strong enough, I can handle it. I've had a lot of Christians that have told me that, that I've seen backslide. You know what? You don't run with those type of people and expect God just to bail you out. Let me tell you something. I, I believe with all my heart. You know, I, I thought about this. When we, when, you know, I, I thought about a story. The, the, the story was told about Scott. Scott uh, had stolen from his family and, 
His dad tells a story about it. He stole from his family and, and taken things from them. And finally one day, he just left home. He'd been gone for over two years. And then a phone call came. And the phone call came, and it was from Scott. And Scott said, uh, as, he, as the phone call came in, he said, uh, you know, Dad, he said, I, I, I want you to know that I've done wrong, and I know I've stolen from you, and I know what I've done has been wrong. But he said, you know what, I, I did this, and I was in drugs. And he said, I went to a sinner. This time, it worked. This time, I've been there, and it worked. He said, I've been there for almost two years. And he said, I'm about ready to get out. And he said, I want to come by the house. I want to, I want to tell you how sorry I am. I want to come back home. And, and the father said, well, you know, I've heard that story before. Y'all been down that road. Well, he says he's clean. He, he just needs something. He just needs some help. And so he said, I doubted it. But his mom said, let him come home. Moms are that way. Let him come home. And so as they went to the airport to get him, he said, as we got the, this boy come off of this plane. Why, he, he looked a little bit like our son, but not like I remembered him. He said, man, he was clean cut. He had new, beautiful clothes on. His hair was cut. He was clean looking. He said his eyes was as clear as crystal. And he said, I looked at him and, and he looked at me and he smiled and then tears began to run down his cheek and he said, Daddy, I'm so sorry for the way I treated you and Mom. Scott said, I tell you what. He said, I took that son and I hugged him. And I began to watch him as we took him home. And the next day when I seen him praying for his meal, and I seen him reading the Scripture, and pretty soon he said, Dad, I want to tell you something. I've been through all the programs, but they never worked. But this one did because it had something extra. It led me to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. He changed my life. I'm a different person. He said, I'm going to tell you something. Mom and I, we're not much of a church-going people. We didn't go much. But we figured if this change took place in our son's life, maybe we ought to find out. He said, we begin to go to church. And he said, that preacher preached one Sunday morning, and there was something got a hold of my heart and got a hold of my wives, and we made our way together holding hands down to that altar. And we gave our life to Jesus Christ. And he said, that was ten years ago. And it's gotten better and better every day. And it's been because of what we've seen in our son. Let me tell you something. This morning, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what has happened in your life. You don't need to tell me nothing about it because God already knows about it. I'm going to tell you something. God is in the redeeming business. What He did for these youth at that convention where God delivered them, my friend, was when they came to an altar and they knelt and they gave their heart to Him and they meant business. Let me tell you something. When you mean business with God, this business will never fail. It will always work. But today, you may say, well, preacher, I never drank alcohol. I never did drugs. I never stole from anybody. But you know, we're all prodigals in our heart. All of us. Because the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen away. But I want to tell you something. As a prodigal today, Jesus wants to welcome you home. He wants to have a party. He wants to celebrate. And you know what? You already made the arrangements over there. Celebrate. 
Celebrate new life, new hope, new victory. It can happen in an instant right here this morning. And we're going to let you have that opportunity. Let's stand together. Father, you know the hearts and the lives of those who are sitting here. Lord, you know what they've gone through. You know what they're facing every day in their life. Father, we pray for every home, every mom, every dad, every teenager. Lord, we know that we live in a tough world, a world that is difficult sometimes to do what's right. But Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to hearts and lives here this morning. Lord, whatever their need might be, we pray that this would be the day, Lord, that they would take that moment, that they would make that walk to this altar and say, God, here I am. Do a work within me. Change me. Make me what you want me to be. And Father, we're going to give you the praise for everything good that happens. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Will you come as we say? If you take your